Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan, how's it going? It's going well. I bet you're getting ready for graduation. Yes, it comes in a week. So summer is almost here and uh, a little hectic as as we get to the end of the semester, but also kind of nice. All right. Well, we're going to have to think about when we record next week because you'll have graduation practice and graduation and all that stuff. And we need you to get your priorities straight. Yeah. And And at least I don't have to. I don't at least I don't have to walk this time. Yeah, you walked last time. It's that's right. So. All right. Well, that's cool. And I, I've seen pictures from around some of the other seminaries getting ready for graduation. Uh, Midwesterns, I believe, is this week. I'm not sure if there are any others this week. I think everybody else is either next week or the week after. So uh, congratulations to all the graduates. Uh, I know got a lot at Southeastern that I know because uh, some of the people that work for you, we talked about that, I think, last week on the podcast. But uh, it's it's an exciting time. It's always fun to see the pictures of the seminaries all decked out and ready to go for graduation. Yes, definitely. It's an exciting week. And our friends up at Southern may have the most photogenic campus. Located in Louisville, Kentucky, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral degree programs by visiting sbts.edu. Amy, I don't know if you saw it this week, but I was uh, asking Dr. Moeller to begin a master's degree in horticulture or landscaping. Uh, based on some of the pictures that he was posting of the seminary, I, I missed that. Did he respond? He did not. I'm sure it's okay. It's you know being kicked around. I, I you know it's probably on the cabinet agenda for next week. Oh, so. I I would imagine it, it. It is a very beautiful campus, and the the flowers are gorgeous. Yes. Well, I was I just about the lawn. It's just like. Oh my goodness! It's yeah, like the lawn is perfect. Augusta the National is, level, right? The lawn is sort of the quad in in between back campus. I think it was called uh, is gorgeous. Yes, absolutely. So let's jump into the news, Amy. You got a light news week, and we're going to do something a little different this week. But uh, first of all, we head down to Texas, where the SBTC removed a church for retaining a sex offender as its pastor. This came in a, a release after the executive board of the SBTC met in Galveston April 22nd and 23rd. So there's a lot of business that they went through there. But one sort of piece in the story was how their board approved 40 churches for affiliation upon the recommendation of their credentials committee. And and a lot of state conventions have have that where their credentials committee will work with the board throughout the year. And so they approved 40 churches for affiliation, and then there were 20 removed from affiliation. 11 of those had merged with other congregations. So that, you know, that makes sense. Six had disbanded. So, so 17 of them were just sort of logistical things. Either they weren't in place anymore or they were merging with others two no longer desired to be affiliated but one was recommended for removal so credentials committee representatives had met with the new spirit baptist church in san antonio that church chose to retain their pastor who is listed on the national sex offender registry and the executive board voted that due to the church's position it was in violation of the baptist faith and message 2000 all right so that's one of the first that we have seen removed from a state convention since this sex abuse conversation 
has come to the forefront in the SBC. Amy, also uh, speaking of this topic, the ERLC announced this week that their national conference, which is to be held October 3rd through 5th at the Gaylord Texan Resort in Grapevine, will have a topic change. It will now be on sexual abuse and equipping the church to confront the abuse crisis. So uh, the title is going to be Caring Well. That's the uh, the kind of the theme of the th- of the conference, and will be focused on equipping churches and caring for the abused. So, among the speakers that they have announced for the annual conference will be Rachel Denhollander, J.D. Greer, Gary Hagen, Beth Moore, Diane Langberg, Jackie Hill Perry, Jennifer Michelle Greenberg, and others. So, uh, there's an article at Baptist Press with more information about that. So, that's uh, something that I have not planned yet to go to. I'm trying to work out the schedule so I can be at that. In October, though, uh, Amy, is that something that you're looking at, at going to as well? Yeah, I think we're, we've set it on our calendar and are planning to be in Texas for that weekend. Yeah, looking forward to that. I'm, I'm really hoping I'll be able to make it over there. So it just depends on some things here at Lifeway. Amy, it's the first of the month. You know what that means? CP. It does. And we are 2.67% over the year-to-date budget projection. A little off from last year, though, about $800,000 or so below last year's giving, uh, but still at a strong million uh, have been given through the cooperative program. That is $3 million above the $113.16 million goal and budget for the year. So we're uh, just a little above where we are, a little above where we're supposed to be. And looking at crunching some numbers, it looks pretty good for us to finish above budget again this year or right at the budget. The April total was a little under $15.5 million. So another strong giving month, and uh, we'll kind of move forward. we got five months left, Amy. Still time to to really bust through that budget and, and maybe even get to $200 million. One of these days, we're going to be able to say that we've hit the $200 million mark, Amy. One day. One day. All right, and then last week, the SBC annual meeting schedule was released. Actually, a lot of things about the annual meeting were released last week. Basically, it's just been announced. This is the annual program meeting draft. Uh, obviously, we vote on the order of business on Tuesday morning. So this is, you know, this was a conversation last year about if things could be changed. But this is what will be presented to the messengers as a full schedule for Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, there are no events on Tuesday evening. So it goes until uh, 6.15 both days, but then is done. Uh, for the day. And so in a few weeks, we'll start breaking down the entire order. But uh, for those interested, you can go ahead and check it out now and start, you know, looking. And I know a lot of people like to make their plans about, okay, here's when I need to be in the room, all of that. Of course, you know my position. You need to be in the room the entire time. Exactly. Do not leave. But, (laughs) But it is helpful to know what is coming when. So. Yes, it is. And one note, one schedule note this year. You mentioned the Tuesday night thing. There's also another difference, Amy. Yes. Both of the lunch breaks are the same amount of time. Usually the Tuesday lunch break is shorter. We right. come back at 1, 1.30. This year, Tuesday lunch break goes from 12.15 to 2.30. Because of uh, the the lack of really downtown restaurants and, and a lot of things really close and the large crowd, they're giving people a little bit more time to be able to go maybe out and about in Birmingham and make it back. Yeah, so and that's that's really smart. That's really smart. There are a handful of restaurants within walking distance, but space in those restaurants compared with the amount of people, there's no way we can all walk to lunch. So that's a, a, a very considerate thing on the part of the Committee on Order of Business. 
Yes. So you've got a two-hour lunch break both days. Uh, the second, you know, on Wednesday, it's the typical seminary lunch. Not everybody eats at the seminary lunches. I know you and I usually do because right. you work at a seminary and I usually wind up invited to one. So I usually wind up at those on Wednesdays. But Tuesday lunches uh, can be sometimes hectic trying to get them in there and out if you don't right. do B21 or Midwestern or one of those. So there right. are some other on-site lunches if you feel so inclined. But it also is good because now they have a little bit more time for their program. Yeah, so that's fantastic. it's great. They've got it two helps. hours now instead of an hour. And it, it just helps to not to not have to rush. You know, my favorite still in recent years was Columbus because they had that big uh, market area. Oh, that that was so good. Yeah, where that Columbus all... was just a really good town for the convention. I, I yes, people, it, it was surprisingly good because right. we weren't we had no expectations for it. Right, we got up there and it was just fantastic. Yeah, and I can't remember the name of that place, but there was. They just had all those different counters. It was just counters. a farmer's market, wasn't it? It was just Maybe a farmer's market. Maybe that's what it was. Columbus Maybe that's farmer's what it market. was. But it had a ton of restaurant counters in there. So you could just yes. go in and say, I'm going to go over here. You go over here. And then let's meet at the tables. And I just, I found that delightful. Yes. I'm looking, and it I'm had looking, donuts. I'm looking. Yes, it did. It had the best donuts. Uh, so I'm looking for the next city where we can do something like that. Let's go back to Columbus. Let's I'm make it happen. I'm for it. I'm for it. Ronnie Floyd, make it happen. I, Columbus was awesome. So, it really was. That, that was one of the ones that he was a president, so maybe I can talk him into that. I know you listen to Dr. Floyd. Let, let's make it happen. Come on. All right. So we, we have short news this week. So what we did this week, we tweeted out and put on Facebook, hey, we're going to take listener questions and answers. And we got some really good questions. We got some that we're not going to use to, but we got some really good questions. A lot of really good, thoughtful questions. So what I'm going to do, Amy, I'm going to read the question and you're going to do the answers. And maybe I'll pipe in on some of the answers. You know, I've looked at these a little bit, but th this, but not extensively. So this is going to be really fun. It'll be like rapid fire. The first one is, I think, a good question and a, a good discussion to have that we probably can't have in the time allotted here. But where are New Orleans and Lifeway on the presidential searches? And is there any consideration of encouraging trustee boards to set up succession plans? That, uh, the, the succession plan is the part I want to talk about. New Orleans and Lifeway, they're close uh, from what, everything that we hear. Maybe in the next couple of months, we'll have answers from both. So that that's the short answer on that. But we're not on the boards. We're not on the search committees. Right. So we don't truly know. So um, nobody knows unless you're on the boards and the search committees. So, But succession planning, is that something that we may see in the future, Amy, after – I wouldn't call it a leadership crisis, but all this just this leadership opening that we had in the SBC this past year and multiple discussions about multiple openings. Yeah. So I think I think what needs to be considered is what is really meant by that. First of all, you you can't have any uniform standard about succession plans because every board is is tasked with governing those institutions. So you can't say, let's all have succession plans. They're all going to decide on their own. Well, and a um, lot of them also have bylaws that would right. go contrary to a succession plan. Like right. the executive committee, whenever the, the opening came at the executive committee, they had a specific set of bylaws that, that would really do away with any succession plan. Right. You can't because this is when, when a, a president resigns or retires or uh, leaves for whatever reason, then the whole executive committee convenes. They have a way they choose a search committee. It's an entire process. So it, it wouldn't work very well with a succession plan. Um, now, I do I do suppose that they could go to the sitting president 
and walk through that right. succession plan after that process. But it it's just difficult with some of the bylaws and things right. in place. Right. Also, let's think this through too. I mean, we've had sort of a unique year. But in the past, we've had things that weren't that different from a succession plan in the sense that like when Jimmy Draper announced his retirement, uh, Dr. Rayner was hired before Jimmy Draper was gone. That's not a succession plan, but that was the search committee working upon Dr. Draper's retirement announcement, and they had some overlap. Yeah, there was a bigger... There wasn't as much. I mean, there was a more seamless transition. Right. For that. Right. Yeah. And uh, and and even in, I mean, even in the times when it wouldn't, you wouldn't say it was seamless transitions, and it was difficult. When you look back at when Dr. Moeller went to Southern Seminary, Dr. Honeycutt was serving as the trustees went through their process, and so I guess my question would be, what do you mean by a succession plan? I think a succession plan means the goal being a more uh kind of overlapping transition or something like that sort of planning for it. You know, the other thing you have to think about is how long of an overlap are you talking about? Because if one board selects the the next president, but you're talking like two or three years, well, then you've got a different board. So in terms of government, in terms of governance, who can actually, who actually should be selecting in our process? So, I mean, there's yeah, a lot of little because details. Because you have a board later, trying to live with the decisions of a board two or three years before. And right. when they get to that point, they may decide, well, this is not what we want to do. Right. So, so I think, I think in a perfect world, it's, it's a, you have a nice situation where maybe if a retire, if, if you're talking about a retirement, then enough lead time is there for some overlap so that the transition is smoother. I think that's, that's, those are the, the situations that have maybe been the easiest. Yes. All right. This is a good question because this is one that, I don't know a lot of people that know the answer to this one. How long is a resolution that is made and approved by the messengers binding upon the convention? Are resolutions good until they're expired? Are they, are we, <laughs> I love this, are we once resolved, always resolved uh, denomination? That's a great question. So, uh, first of all, one really key point in that question is resolutions are not binding. So that, that's the important point that means they're not binding on anyone. No one has to do anything they can encourage. We encourage churches to do this. We encourage entities to do this. But there's nothing in them that can actually be binding on any individual, any church, or any entity. Resolutions are statements of position. And they are the position statement of that specific SBC annual meeting meeting in this city on this date. What we can assume is that that statement of position has some staying power that that they that they take issues that are going to have posterity to them so you can assume that that's the position of Southern Baptists for quite some time but you you can't actually say that the Southern Baptist Convention holds to this you can say the Southern Baptist Convention in 2018 said this yeah and and it's different from a national convention, maybe to state conventions, because state conventions, uh, we had somebody comment that if you pass a resolution in, in our state, then the state employees are kind of held to that standard right. of the resolution, whatever it may be. So if you pass a resolution against X, state employees then have to be against X. Now, now here's one thing. 
that you can think about. An entity could turn around and say, hey, our our convention has spoken clearly on this. Mm-hmm. And so we and we're going to put a policy in yeah, that reflects that, this. That, yeah, because it matters to our churches. So they can make that decision, but there is no... Uh, there's no binding nature to the resolution that forces that. That would just be a response. All right. This next one. Wow. How has social media affected the daily business of the SBC? Are we too reactionary? And is the SBC social media truly representative of the feelings of the majority of SBC members and churches? And there's a follow-up to this one after we get done with this. Okay. It has had a huge impact, but... It's had a huge impact in short order, in the quickness of it. But if you look back in Southern Baptist history, we had, I mean, there was a moment, there were moments in time where we had tons of different kinds of, of papers. We had our state papers, which you can go back and look in archives at those, but you also had some independent, you know, newsletters, some just lots of different things. There were ways that people were getting news out and those things were driving conversation. Uh, you had a yeah. lot more editorials were written, a lot of um, newsletters, newsletters, hand mailed type things. Right. Lots of ways that people were trying to force a discussion. It just, the threshold was higher. It was a lot, you know, you had to print a lot of things. You had to stand there and pass them out or send them out. It's definitely made it easier. Right. So I would say social media has allowed messages to spread more quickly and momentum to build more easily. I think it's also in engaged a new generation of Southern Baptists. Yes. Because I think if we were still relying on the older methods to engage Southern Baptists today, I don't think that we would see as much engagement from your and my generation and those yes. uh, that are coming after us. Yes. And and so then you ask, you know, you ask the question, are we too reactionary? Maybe. I think you also can look throughout history and say, have there been times we've been too reactionary? And you would find that at different phases. It's just that social media does allow for quick reactions. Most of the time, what we see is that when we leave the convention, people do feel that we have left at the place where the majority of the people wanted to be and one, and what they wanted to express and uh, it may have taken, you know, it may have been a discussion on social media that got it there. They reached more people at once with the message. But I do think we move in the direction we want to go. All right. And the, the follow-up to that was, how would the conservative resurgence have played out if the internet was around then? I, I can't even imagine. That, like, makes my head explode to try to think about that. I, I think it would have been a little more heated. And it was already heated. I think right. you kind of would have just thrown some flames on things or some gasoline on the flames. So, yeah, that fascinating. Yes. That, that would be a great one to sit around and kick, you know, with some of the guys that were involved in it back in the day. Yeah. And, and what you have to think about what social media does is you have conversations in rooms that are heated. But when we take it to Twitter, thousands of people are watching. People join in that didn't that weren't maybe wouldn't necessarily be in the room, but they do. And it, it sort of builds, it builds that momentum. So if the, if social media had been around back then, my goodness, we've had, we would have had quite a record to look back on. And there may have been real, you know, one, one thing that was an issue was a, a lot of people felt the, the pressure from both sides of that issue to go on record as, as being very clear for one position or the other. And I can't imagine what that pressure would have been like with Twitter. 
you know, that oh, not, not just because think about it, that when certain issues come out and, and you don't tweet about it, people will make an assumption. Well, you must be for it. And then, then you see these people that are like, Hey, don't assume anything. I was on vacation with my family at the Grand Canyon. And so that's why I didn't say anything, <laughs> you know? So there's this pressure that you have to speak publicly or, your silence means something. Well, I can't imagine in that uh, situation what that pressure would have been like. So, All right. Next question. This is a fantastic question. After we saw it done with all eyes on the UMC General Assembly, what would it cost to implement a similar electronic voting format at the SBC? I, I don't have, know the cost. Yeah, I have no idea. That's definitely something I think we should look at. I have no idea. We we opened the door for this a, a few years back of of saying in our governing documents that there's an openness to this if the right solution could be found. But I have no idea of the cost. It'd be an interesting thing to find out. Yeah, it would be a fascinating thing to find out. All right, the next one here. Do you see an improvement in SBC churches when it comes to focusing on physical health and fitness? I don't know about specific SBC churches. I see a general societal yes. draw to health and fitness yeah. and, and a more of an awareness. Um, is that the case in all SBC churches? I don't know. I don't think so. I, I honestly don't know. But I do know that there are pockets of society that are a little bit more aware of that than others. Right. And so this is really anecdotal. But even thinking back from the time we've been in smaller churches to now... You know, it used to be that you would go to a potluck and it's just fried chicken everywhere and, you know. Nothing all, wrong with uh, that. No, absolutely. I love fried chicken. Double it's, eggs. It's, yeah, it's everywhere and lots of desserts and just not a lot of thought to that. But I think as society does focus on that, you you see a lot more uh, people, when they come together, they're bringing healthier options. So I don't know that I see a focus in our churches as much as just the culture is kind of changing around us yeah. for that. And it, it, so it comes into our interaction. Yeah. It'll be fascinating to see generationally too, how right. much more focused on health and fitness uh, we'll see in the future. Do you see an improvement in SBC churches when it comes to focusing on mental health care? Yes. I do I as do. well. We even had something this past week where we were uh, at my church specifically where we had a a guy come in who's a family therapist and talked about parenting and emotional health and emotional awareness of your kids. So I, I've seen this more in the last five years than I think I'd seen it in the previous 35. So I, I definitely see an increase in awareness and trying to help people with not just being aware of it, but actually trying to help as well on mental health. Yes, I see I think an increase in counseling positions or uh, or counseling ministries within churches. I also see that the stigma of people pursuing mental health uh, counseling or things uh, taking care of their families with you know certain challenges or struggles that that people will talk more openly about that and that that the churches are becoming a safe space where maybe at one time it, it didn't always feel that way. So I think, yes. All right. Next question is, will Lifeway be selling books at the annual meetings? Yes. We'll still have bookstores at the annual meeting. That's the plan. As far as we know right now, 
We'll still have bookstores at the annual meeting. So that's still part of the plan. Uh, Next one. (laughs) There were movies made about each of the seminary presidents. Who would play them in the said movies? Yeah, this was my coworker that had this idea, uh, this question. And he actually, he's actively thinking about this. And I I do not know. All right, so Jason Allen, played by Jeff Daniels. Oh, that's interesting. That's, yeah. Okay. Adam Greenway, Stanley Tucci. Huh. John Goodman, Chuck Kelly. All right, keep going. Dr. Moeller, Josh Brolin. Oh, that's a good one. Okay. Dr. Orge, John Hamm. Oh, Don Draper. Okay. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. And then Dr. Aiken, I'm going to let you do this one since he's your boss. I, you, No one can play Dr. Aiken, but Dr. Aiken. <laughs> Dr. Rainer does a pretty good impression, though. <laughs> Actually, actually, not that I'm going to do it here. I can do a pretty good impression of Dr. Uh, Aiken. But I'll, I'll, I'll save that for another day. All right. So I'm going to let the listeners then choose this one. Or Drew. Okay. Drew needs to do this one since it's his boss too. I'm really stumped on this one. Okay. All right. Um, so we'll, we'll think, let's think on that. So final question, Amy. Actually a serious one here. Jim Drake asked, Will there be an area in Birmingham for nursing mothers? It'll be my grand, my brand new grandson's first convention, and his mother wants to know. There will be. Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. There is and a really nice area oh, fantastic. for nursing mothers, as well as a kind of a sensory, a desensitized, you know, area for those with kids of special needs as well. So that's going to yeah. be on the first floor, ground floor. You'll you should see it. Like if you're walking from the convention area like the, the exhibit hall area over toward the convention center, you'll pass right. the entrance to that as you walk in the, in the courtyard there. It, the entrance is off the courtyard, uh, but it's on the bottom floor of the Coliseum. And yes, there will be a great place for nursing mothers. Right. And it's fantastic too, because you can walk right in from it to the, to the, the arena to yeah. where the meeting is going on. So if there's a ballot vote coming, you know, or things like that, and the screen will be there where people can watch the proceedings, it's a really, really nice uh, feature that the executive committee staff has has implemented this yes. year. Yes. Yeah, that was a fantastic decision and, and move on their part. So that's something I think we'll see even increase in, in the future. So great questions. Thanks to all that submitted. We got a few more. Oh, one more, Amy. And, yes. And we'll... We'll link just the last one, and we'll, we'll answer this one. Who is the SBC explainer? I can tell you who it's not. It's not us, but the SBC explainer is... As far as I know, that's who it is. Yep. So there you go. The big secret's out of the bag. People wanted to know who SBC explainer is, and we just told you right there. I, the, my big answer to that question always, and, and anytime someone asks me if I know, I just my, I have the same answer. It is not me. That's right. Because I just I I feel like the, I I feel like that's what I'm getting when people ask me that yes. what they really want to say is are you the SBC no, explainer? It's, it's not us. It's <laughs> exactly. It's that's who it is. So, all right. Well, I'm glad we cleared that up. I hope people enjoyed that. Thanks again for asking the questions. But that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. All right. This year, this time of year, I always like to look back at old convention previews. Particularly when you go back, uh, when you go back way earlier, when the convention was held in May, you really get a lot around this time. So I want to go back to 1948, 
when uh, the convention was going to be in Memphis. It was going to be May 19th through the 23rd. And the headline was 10,000 expected in Memphis for Southern Baptist Convention. Now, of course, you know why I would want to pick this, because that's my number that I'm... Well, yes, the railroad cars. But 10,000, that's my number I keep shooting for, that we got to get back up to 10,000. And um, and then next we year, can, Amy. Then, next year we'll do it. Right then, I, I you know what I think that I should shoot for this goal every year. I so know, I'm but I'm still, just saying next year it's a little right. bit more of a an easier it's, target. It's very likely, yes. But they expected ten thousand in 1948. It was uh, the 91st session and 103rd year. Now that discrepancy is because there were several years, particularly early. Uh, where the convention met every two years or every three years. So it was the 91st session, 103rd year. At that time, there were 26,764 cooperating churches with a total membership of 6,270,819. And uh, it is really interesting to look at some of the issues they were focusing on. They were expecting to uh, deal with the to deal with the civil rights bill that was being discussed at that time. Uh, Harry S. Truman was the, the president then um, separation of church and state beverage, alcohol and others. They did say though, that their main emphasis would be laying plans for increased worldwide evangelism and member enlistment in the year immediately ahead. They were going to have is a, this was a five day meeting. So for those of you Ooh. who think, Oh, it's so busy. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it seems too long. This was a five-day meeting. And then the end was going to be a big Sunday afternoon evangelistic service with R.G. Lee preaching. And, uh, and so there would, they, so then the rest of the issue, you should go and check it out. It explains some of the other things that would be happening. Uh, it talks about the WMU annual meeting that, uh, would happen kind of as an auxiliary to the convention, uh, that would, to the, the WMU annual meeting that would happen around the same time. And then it laid out, I loved this. The Southern Baptist Convention is one of the most uniquely organized groups in the world. The convention is made up of messengers, not delegates from the churches, in that no one carries authority to bind his congregation back home to the decisions of the convention. The denominational program is purely one of cooperation. And so it it has sort of that little definition. But then if you look, the rest of the issue talks about the Pacific Northwest Baptists coming together. That was the time when that state convention began, as well as that the largest number of out-of-town newspaper staff correspondents ever to attend an SBC would be there, that a lot of papers were sending staff to Memphis, including the New York Times, the Washington Evening Star, the Atlanta Constitution, New Orleans Times-Picayune, Dallas Morning News, and the Fort Worth Star-Telegram. So, really interesting stuff going on. They were just like us getting ready for the annual meeting this week in SBC history. Well, that's kind of fun. Uh, it, it would have been fascinating to see what some of those were like. I wish we had videos of some of the old conventions and all that went on at those because they were just so different than what we experienced today. Right. One thing I would love to see, and and one reason we haven't is because the cost to do this is just uh, always has to be taken into account, but I would love to see a project that digitizes 
um, audio recordings or even some of the video recordings when that started. But, you know, we, there, there have been, there were film strips. You remember we talked about how they would actually set it up where people could bring recording equipment and line it up at the front of the stage so they could take it back to their church if they wanted to. So there are audio recordings out there. I would love to see some of that digitized one day so we could listen to it. Yeah, that would be great. So, all right, that's going to bring us to our resources of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is... The SBC app. It is up and running. All right. So we need to... I got it downloaded and updated too, so... I do too. I've got it on my phone. Things that you can do now is you can already start looking around in there uh, at details on exhibitors. They will load information on as they have it. And you can go ahead and fill out your profile so that you can start connecting with other people before we even get there. That's right. That's right. So book reports not quite in there yet. So we're still waiting on that, watching for that. So uh, that's the the one thing I'm I'm really antsy about getting to see in there. So, all right. My resource of the week is one near and dear to my co-host's heart. It's SBC FAQs. I know we've talked about this before, but it just seems like the right time of year to remind you of the availability of SBC FAQs. The book by Amy Whitfield and this other guy at Southeastern. Um, and sorry, uh, Dr. Very Harper. Very well. <laughs> yes, thank you, Dr. Harper. <laughs> yeah, that guy. Yeah, that guy. It's it's Amy's book, by the way. Uh, no, I'm kidding. But uh, they wrote this book last year, and it's got all the information you really need about the SBC. It's an easy one-source reference for all things SBC, and uh, it, it's just a fantastic resource. If you don't have a copy, you need to pick one up because tis the season to pick that up. Tis the season. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week on the show. Thanks to all who sent in their questions. We enjoyed answering some of those. Maybe we'll do some of that on some slow news weeks in the future as well. So keep an eye out on our social media channels on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Been working on some stuff for Instagram for the annual meeting. So I'm excited about that and be able to do some more stuff at the annual meeting on Instagram and some Facebook lives, different things like that. So be sure to join us on social media, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And we'll see you next week. See you next week.